podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Showing Dory's us showing us pork tenderloin. Who is that? What that is? That's. I feel like every time I come over here, it's like taunting me to, like you know, get a wife. Wonderful. Taunting <laughs> 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 you to get married. I feel like I always make a statement, and then you turn it to the worst, yeah. most non-progressive That's version. That's how we have fun, <laughs> honey. I did. I said, please get something, some fun meat that we could cook in a weird way. Oh, and that's what in you the got. pressure pressure cooker. Nice. So that's what that's what you came back with. It's very impressive life. looking. Um, Can't wait to stay. Oh, I don't know how long that would take. Probably like an hour and a half. Yeah, I think we could probably manage. Mm-hmm. I have to go get Bo though at some point. You can hang out here. Whatever. I don't mind. Take over my life. I gotta go. I don't have one <laughs> to go back to. Going to Vegas? Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, new listeners. Hello, old listeners. Welcome to our program, Star Trek The Next Conversation. I'm Matt Myra. I'm Andrew Secunda. Uh, we have just been overwhelmed with the response to A, our poll that we ran, and B, our, our asking of you all to uh, email us. We've got a lot of emails. We've got a lot of, of tweets. we got a lot of fun. If you want to email us, uh, it's at... Est- oh, well, that's the Twitter. If you want to tweet us, right? <laughs> the the the, uh, the email yeah. is. Oh wait, so we're going back to email I'm now. Sorry, here I'm, we go. Andy, disorganized. <laughs> it hasn't rolled off the tongue. <laughs> I don't know how to program it. Okay, the Twitter. Yeah. is Star Trek TNC at Star Trek TNC. There you go. Um, and the email is sttnc pod sttnc and I'm at Secunda, and I'm at Matt Myra. I'm at TTMIRA. Deal with that, everybody. Uh, I'm just excited that I get to share my love of Star Trek with another human being, uh, a human being who feels like watching it is a chore for him. Uh, so far, that has been my experience. I've gotten a lot of, I would say, I've gotten a lot of sympathy emails from Well, that you're, you're slogging through the first season. It's, yeah. It is a slog. It does. I'm excited for you, though, to get to the later stuff, to get to the episodes of, of my youth, like the uh, stuff in season three, four, five, six. Season seven, I got to say, everybody, even though it was nominated for Best Drama, it was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. For best drama. I don't think season seven's great. Interesting. That's more of a legacy win. Yeah. It's got like Sub Rosa and Masks in it, which I think are the two worst episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Wow. So you got a lot to not look forward to. So you're to. saying these two seven season episodes are worse than Code of Honor? <laughs> got to oh, think about God. that one, don't you? I mean, this is the problem that's... I've been having even thus far when we come up with ratings. The answer is, is yes, by the way. That's astonishing. Yeah. That cannot be. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but let's just say at one point, Dr. Crusher fucks a ghost. Okay, that sounds pretty... You know? I'm just laying the groundwork for you. 
like Dan Aykroyd in the like Dan Aykroyd in, in the cutscene from Ghostbusters that they left in way too much of. So you're like, wait, what's what? going on? <laughs> Why is that happening? <laughs> that's not what a face looks like when I, someone ejaculates. It, that's true. Also, he looks like he's like uh, he ate some bad Chinese food. Yeah. But that's a kid's movie, so I guess they were trying to go, it's kooky when you have sex. This here Chinese food represents Which the last of the petty cash. What's that? I was just quoting Ghostbusters. I was doing my own joke. I know. We were in two different podcasts. <laughs> so hopefully, and it was a hoot. Hopefully you got value out of both of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we did have a poll. Mm. Um, I realized with his superior podcasting and Twitter skills, uh, Matt found a way to... Uh, to stack the deck in his favor. How did I do the, that? In the phrasing of flow yes, flow no. Nobody wants to vote flow no. Why not? Because flow sounds good. <laughs> it should have been chaos or order. Chaos or order. Been, I think people would have gone chaos. Uh, some people would have gone chaos, but it would have been more even split. Anyway, it came down to that? convo flow, hashtag flow yes, 74% plot chronology, which these are the things that we would follow. Yeah. Um, hashtag flow no, 26%. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's not great, guys. Well, it's great for me. We had 117 votes. I want that to go up next time we run a poll, everybody. Yeah. So He's getting stern. Andy's going to have a theory, I'm sure, <laughs> in this episode. And we'll maybe we'll run a poll about it. Uh, so the episode that we watched aired yes. the week of October 26th. Oh, before 19th. you do this. Yes. Um, well, maybe you can do it. You, you decide the order. Yeah. Uh, I realized we had decided uh -huh. that at the top, yeah. you were going to say, is this one that they should watch or not? Oh, that's true. And the answer to that question is yes. All right. I think this is what people should watch. The episode. Um, and if you... Oh, that's interesting. So if you're going to listen to this podcast and like sort of like pick and choose your Star Trek episodes, uh, I'm just going to say the quality in the first season of the ones I'm saying to watch are not great. That but has certainly been my experience. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is watch it. This is uh, where no one has gone before. Stardate 41263.1. And uh, it aired October 26th, 1987. That was the week that it was airing in first run syndication. Andy, what were you doing October 26th, 1987? Uh, I'm not Mary Lou Henner, so I don't know what I was doing. But um, I... I was, is school, school's in by October. Right? School's in by October, yeah. <laughs> so I was biking to school. That sounds like a fun time. I was <laughs> the probably, streets of the mean streets of Manhattan. I was probably chilling at home, doing some chill stuff. Uh, okay, so here is the plot synopsis for the episode where no one has gone before. The brave new warp theories of a supposedly brilliant Starfleet consultant go awry when the expert, in quotes, much like how our president uses quotes, expert, plunges the ship first into a neighboring galaxy and then into a dimension where the physical and mental worlds converge. Wow. Yep. Wow. Very metaphysical. I wonder if they're... Okay, so this is a pretty short synopsis that I'm going to read that will give you guys the entire plot. The trouble turns out to be not with expert Kaczynski's theories, but with his mysteriously meek assistant whose race can travel among dimensions and times. The strain of propelling the entire ship through has put the so-called traveler gravely near death, threatening to strand the Enterprise forever. 
And in this nether space, crew members begin seeing alternate, al- alternate realities that threaten their sanity as well. Finally, it's discovered that Wesley's friendship has a curative effect on the traveler. He strengthens the alien just enough to get the ship home. Before he does so, though, the traveler advises Picard secretly of Wesley's prodigious ability, abilities and urges him to not let them go undeveloped. With a proud mother standing by, Wesley is promoted to acting ensign by Picard and his academy training begins. Yeah. <laughs> You're not having it. I just don't uh it definitely there's a there's a huge this huge jump in in sense, let's say, in this episode, and forward plot momentum, and uh, it's de- definitely, without question, yeah, the best one so far out of out of the uh, the beginning of this season. You think this is the best episode so far out of the ones we've watched? You're 100 percent correct. Thank you. I had to think about it, um, but uh, still weirdly constructed from a from a writing point of view as far as absolutely i think there's a lot in this episode that i enjoy there's a lot that in this episode that i go meh to but there's nothing in this episode that i'm like this is fucking stupid i will say this and i don't know if you if you have a response to this um um in when you run into problems in a write in when you're writing a story yeah uh in comedy or in drama uh, i don't know what you mean <laughs> matt has, has various drafts and pieces of uh, the script he just wrote for the goldbergs all over the house <laughs> as he tried to run it through his brain yeah um so uh one of the questions uh that we ask is uh like as a sort of a backup sometimes is almost uh what's it about yeah, as, as the theme, and in the original series, obviously it was possibly too leaning on the theme in in a heavy-handed way, although it gave it a really rigid, uh, rigorous structure. And uh, I I feel like the themes in these episodes are all over the place. Like, what is the theme in this episode? <laughs> there is no, you know, a lot of times. What's you know, it great, about? Great sci-fi is a morality tale, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's like. You know, uh, you should understand cultures that seem foreign to you. You should embrace their ways and learn to be coexist together in the galaxy. Or, you know, you should not interfere where you don't belong. Or, you know, everyone's, you know, has their own point of view. You know, many of these, like, larger Star Trek Except for the last outpost, which says the Ferengis are dumb and greedy and stupid. And jump up and down (laughs) like crazed gerbils. Um, So with this episode, it's interesting that you say that. I I don't know what the theme of this episode is. I hadn't even thought about that. All I thought about, what I like a lot about Star Trek. Okay. One of my favorite things about it is watching bullshit ship operations. Me too. Like, I like seeing you know whenever we go to a cargo bay i like to see what's going on in the cargo bay yeah not necessarily do i want to see someone doing ballet in that cargo bay uh-huh. but i like to know what the, how a how a starship functions i like to know the day-to-day operations of a starship what is she doing it seemed like mostly an empty room does she just hang out in that cargo bay she's probably assigned she's probably assigned to the cargo bay someone's got to be in there uh-huh she's just signing stuff out yeah signing <laughs> stuff in signing stuff out beaming stuff to other cargo bays you know, sure. Just hanging out. You got to have everyone assigned everywhere. I feel like 
There are a lot of sad jobs on that ship. <laughs> there are. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's like people have to go in and clean the Jeffrey's tubes. It's not, you know, it's not all what about that. It's Who's not the all janitorial staff. There's got to be somebody, right? Yeah. A crew of people. You got to figure every deck has someone assigned to them. Yeah. Do you think that it's like a hotel where they come clean your quarters? I would have to assume so. And the question is, what kind of tip do you leave those people? Or because quat it's to a, lose? Oh, quat lose. Uh, <laughs> because it's a, you know, Starfleet vessel. I assume it's naval in the sense that I don't think that like naval officers have people come clean their quarters. You think is that how it works in the navy? They the people clean their own quarters. I assume they have to make their own beds and there stuff. There must be right? somebody swabbing the deck. That's a great question. But it's carpets, so I assume that some some point somebody comes. If in you're a listener and you're vacuum. in the navy, please answer that question for us. Oh yeah, who cleans the quarters? Yes, the officers' quarters. I know the crewmen just have to sleep on bunks. Yeah, classic Starfleet. Classist. Um, classist. <laughs> classist. That's the other thing, too, about the Enterprise. You know, remember Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, Andy? I do. Do you remember Captain Kirk's quarters, how very small they were? I do not. They were crazy small. Like, he had, like, a barely a twin-size bed. It was like a bunk, almost. He had a closet where he could put his uniforms, and that was it. He was the, he was the acting captain? Yeah, it was his ship. Okay. He got it back in Star Trek V. Right. Right. That is weird. I thought it was weird. You know, if you thought that was weird, you're not alone. You're saying a bunk bed or a bunk? No, it was like a bunk. bunk. It wasn't like two bunks, but and it, it was, was very small. It was a single. Definitely, it was a single. That definitely is not appropriate for Captain James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> I mean, it's more than a single. I can tell you that. In... He needs a giant round vibrating bed in his quarters. <laughs> even in um, the original series, his quarters was... They were they were big, but on this uh, on the, in the movie it was such a tiny little tiny quarters. I'm trying to find a shot of it. Man, I can't find one. Anyway, trust me on that, kids. If you're home and you feel like popping on Star Trek six, go nuts. Do you think that Kirk? This is probably for when we get to the original series. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Kirk was always hooking up with the aliens because he he knew it was sort of inappropriate to make any moves on his crew his crew is trying to get it out any way he could so he's just like all right i'm on this planet i don't have any you know responsibilities over these people this is more cool <laughs> sure sure i think he just was like part of his going where no man has gone before he took that literally mm. um oh that's interesting okay Anyway, I'm I'm lost in I'm this lost is, in pictures of quarters. FYI, this is what it's like to go to lunch with Matt Myra. <laughs> Just suddenly you're talking and hang on, I'll be right back. <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> now it's just me, people. But uh, I'm the one. You hundreds of th- what's happening? <laughs> oh. I'm back, Andy. God. What uh, what happened while I was gone? Not much. <laughs> the, whole, the podcast came to a halt. Well, okay. Let me uh, bring up this episode. My notes. I got to say, I did not make a ton of notes for this episode because I just didn't find it to be noteworthy. With all of my uh, my initial 
uh, thoughts about this. I kind of feel the same way. I do have some things that I, I uh, dug up about it. But uh, one thing which was Rob Bowman directed this episode when he was 27, which made me very jealous. And I knew his name from a lot of X-Files episodes. Good point. Um, very skilled and longstanding uh, TV director. I – let's see – who wrote this episode? I didn't realize that I'd be having construction going on next to my home <laughs> while we were perfect. recording this episode. Oh, if only we could beam that person out. Uh, well, I could try, but it's not going to work. <laughs> um, another side thing is uh, I was listening a little bit to uh, Will Wheaton's podcast, which is delightful. Um, and uh, he was saying, not whatever, it was it's one about Star Trek. It's not his. He's a games one, too, right? Whatever the case. Um, he, uh, he said that Rob Bowman, that most of the directors would kind of use him as a prop and kind of move him around and grab him by the, the elbow and mm -hmm. call him the boy, just like the people in the episode. And Rob Bowman was very nice and, and him, chill with him. Uh, treat him like a human being. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Not like a prop. Now, let's just kick this off with this first clip of the episode where I just, this is one of these Star Trek conversations I enjoy but is ultimately meaningless. It's the discussion of the engines of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. We have rendezvoused with the USS Fearless, from which an Excelsior-class ship. Expert and oh, his yeah, she's a beaut. Are beaming over to conduct tests on the Enterprise's warp drive engines. They have completed similar adjustments on two other Starfleet vessels. I don't understand your concern, number one. They're not authorized to make any alterations in our engines. According to Starfleet's report, they will simply run tests on different ways of entering warp speed and different intermix formulas. Where's the harm in that? It's the specs Kaczynski sent us. In my opinion, sir, they're gibberish. Gibberish? Mr. Data, would you explain? Sir, we put Mr. Kaczynski's specs into the computer and ran a controlled test on them. There was no improvement in engine performance. And how do you explain? Starfleet's report that the same tests on the USS Ajax and on the Fearless over there resulted in a measurable increase in propulsion. Our engines are new, sir. Top condition. The tests on those older ships may have simply been to straighten out some engine inefficiency. Bridge from transporter, Chief. So. Mm -hmm. Nonsense. Is <laughs> the it... captain's problem, well, rather, Riker's problem, yeah. is crazy. He does not want this guy coming over here to do something. They've run simulations, and it did nothing. <laughs> but it worked on other ships. Already. Yeah, it worked on other ships, sure. But he ran these gibberish calculations through the computer, and it, it was like, it seems to me, no harm, no foul. And it's, it's for him to try it. Yeah. Well, that is what Argyle says later. And that is also another side issue is... It's weird that it's like, should we let this? Because later he has a conversation with Argyle about, should we have a, should we let this guy mess around with the ship? Is there any way you can hurt it? And Argyle goes, no, nah, I can't really hurt it. And I'm like, he really can't. There's nothing. <laughs> if you let this guy do anything he wants to the engines, there's nothing he can do wrong it's... to the giant Starfleet vessel. It's, it's, it's an odd way to start the episode i mean really so like you know in this this is the cold open of the show we should be having some understanding of what the episode's going to be about so from what i'm understanding here it's just going to be about this guy wanting to make the ship move quicker right and 
And also, on side note, uh, Picard and Riker really pissy with each other in this conversation. Is that standard? Is that what we're going to be looking at? No. No. It's it's odd. It's an odd situation. So that's situation. probably another factor of them sort of figuring out the characters. Because it's just like sort of establishing, you know, Riker will stand up to him. Right. And and Picard welcomes it. But it still seems like they both are in terrible moods Let's talk about, for a non-crisis situation. <laughs> let's talk about Kaczynski. All right. Uh, he is the... He is the person that is, I mean, set up from the beginning to be a dick, right? right? Mm-hmm. And he beams on and is a giant dick. But right. what the first thing I noticed was his uniform, okay? Oh, yeah. And I... You should have a sound effect for prepare to get nerdy. Prepare to get nerdy. <laughs> uh, my, our, our good friend John from Anovos. He texted me today, not even knowing we were going to be recording today. Oh, interesting. And he said the He's following. He's like Q. He knows he everything is. that's going on. He said the following. Dude, first of all, dude, can't believe I'm actually watching season one because of your show. It's so painful. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, okay, uniform oddity of the week. Oh, nice. Where the hell oh, is we need, Mr. We need a theme song we for that. We theme song for uniform oddity of the week. Uh, brought to you by Anovos. <laughs> Please sponsor us. Uh, where the hell is Mr. Kaczynski's... We mentioned them in every episode. Where the hell is Mr. Kaczynski's communicator? Oh. Ah. Did he not have a communicator? Correct. The real answer is... Because he needs no one. <laughs> the real answer is that Kaczynski isn't a Starfleet officer and is not entired, entitled to wear a symbol uh, of Starfleet. He's more accurately a consultant for Starfleet, and that's indicated by his weird rank pip. So that's he's like he's like Kelly McGillis in Top Gun. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's not really a. She taught though, right? But she was a civilian consultant, so you do not salute her. That's true. That line, guy, I love Top Gun. It's pretty good. So let's hear this guy be a dick right from the top. Here we go. Welcome aboard, Mr. Kaczynski. I'm the first officer, Commander William Riker, and this is... Where is the captain, please? He's engaged in other duties, sir. A ship's engines should be the concern of a ship's captain. They are, sir. Which is why they have made the first officer directly responsible for an engine's conditions and performance. Guided, of course, by one of our chief engineers, Lieutenant Commander Argyle, in this case. A pleasure to meet you, sir. I appreciated receiving the specs. To which you have no end of questions. Aye, I have. And you, sir, are listed as... As Mr. Kaczynski's assistant. Uh, my actual name is unpronounceable by humans. Make one up. You're from Tau Alpha C. <laughs> That's very distant. All approved and described in the Starfleet communications. Now, I would like to set up in the engine room immediately. I'll have our chief engineer show you to his engine room. No need. I know my way around starships. What a bag of dicks <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a real pain in the ass if you ask me yeah did you what did you think of this guy i thought he was somehow perfectly cast <laughs> he was um and i kept i'm sorry i looked through his credits and i couldn't see anything where i was just like that's where that guy's from i think he's just one of those guys who's been he's been in a billion things but uh 
He, uh, yeah, he was perfect for this. Um, I, it seemed, I kind of have this feeling about Q, actually, but um, but at least Q is omnipotent. This guy has this feeling of like, I have neither the time nor the whatever, all that stuff. And he's like, walks away and it's like, wait a minute, aren't you there under the sort of uh, liberty of of Starfleet? You don't, you can't just walk around and it's, act like you're in charge. It's crazy though. Like the ultimate like thing that you find out about this episode here about this character is that his calculations are nonsense. So how did what was he doing before the traveler kind of hooked up with him? I think the traveler was just like looking for a way to get on starships. I think he was just a homeless guy. <laughs> I think he was just like he ran he ran like a magazine shop or something and then the this traveler said, "Hey, you want to be a be thought of as an engineering genius? Come with me." Do you think well, I just I feel like Kaczynski might have been this dope at Starfleet command that was you know dealing with starship propulsion and the traveler sort of identified him as a guy who is ultimately harmless and who he could make the ships do what he says they're doing the traveler could make the ships do what kaczynski's doing so he's like oh this is the perfect guy to hitch my wagon to i'll pretend to be his assistant He'll do his crazy bullshit that does no damage to anything, and I'll actually do the things without telling anyone how I'm doing them. It's kind of like the uh, it, it's the premise to Psych, the uh, <laughs> the uh, drama mystery comedy show. <laughs> the dramedy. He's pretending to uh, be an engineer when in fact he's magical. <laughs> it's it's really not like that show at all. Uh, in an early draft, say it aloud. in an early draft of the script, Kaczynski was a doctor with the first name Peter. He was an old friend of Picard's, as they had been roommates at Starfleet Academy. That actually would have given much more interesting layers and explained his attitude, because he would have been coming on the ship to say, "Well, now I'm somebody, Jean Luc." <laughs> That's very good. That would have worked. Very good. So, I wonder why they took that out. I don't like Kaczynski. I mean, that's all I have to say about it, really. Oh, as a side issue, um, we've gotten many letters, and um, do we call them letters in the digital age? Um, and uh, and tweets about uh, that I should watch um, Chaos on the Bridge, and uh, I have watched Chaos on the Bridge. Chaos on the Bridge, if you haven't seen it, kids uh, listening to this podcast, it's a documentary about the creation of Star Trek The Next Generation that is somehow produced by William Shatner. Um, and it is, uh, I, I saw what, one of the letters we got theorized that that was, he was doing it just to kind of go, look how terrible the first season is of next generation. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's valid. Um, and it was fascinating and addressed many of my questions of, of why this, this first season is so bonkers. But, um, but I wonder if, uh, maybe, uh, Roddenberry's lawyer wrote some of this. Oh, and also I think we're thinking of maybe, so you can pipe off, off on this. Yeah. We're thinking of maybe at the end of this season, two things that are that are being proposed. One is going through the movies uh, at the end of each season. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, once we finish season one, we'll go through Star Trek uh, motion, motion picture. picture. Uh, but also to have an episode about chaos on the bridge. So a boner ep- bonus episode. <laughs> boner episode. Boner episode. <laughs> Um, can I take a, a digression uh, from myself? Yes. To talk about Lieutenant Commander Argyle. Uh, love Lieutenant Commander Argyle. How much is he in the show? Not very. 
played by Biff Yeager. First of all, Biff Yeager, fucking great name. Amazing name. Is um, he related to Chuck Yeager? I wonder. Uh, or Biff from Back to the Future. Yeah, okay, that's, that's not, not how, how relations right, or well, names could work. Be. You never know. Maybe I don't might think you're either. quite understanding character how our culture functions. <laughs> might have named the real person after yeah, his son. Sure. Look, we don't know how timelines work. <laughs> um, my first question, and the reason I dove into this weird ra- internet rabbit hole was, what is that accent? There is no... It's like a 1940s noir cab driver. <laughs> it is. Like, you hear it. When I first heard him speak, I was like, oh, fuck, is he... Uh, Scottish. Well, like that, the second he talked, I, I think was like, that oh, was he Scottish. In some of the uh, the internet uh, discussions of him, they do say that. But I'm like, as a New Yorker, uh, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, I was like, it really sounds like he's either putting on or uh, a fake New York accent, or is from New York and is somehow trying to make it more charactery. And um, he seemed familiar, and I looked at his credits. And he is also I, – I wonder if all of his parts are like this because he is in Batman Returns. And, um, and, uh, and, I, and I thought to myself before I even saw the credit, I was like, I bet you he's one of the security guys that sees Catwoman. <laughs> and, uh, and he is. And this is – oh, gosh, darn it. Oh, we got an ad. Got an ad. I don't have that thing. You Hang can control your volume on your computer and let it play, and then talk into it. Do a, right. do a do a do a talk up. So, um, oh, there we are. Okay, I'm in. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is uh, this is the scene with Biff Yeager in Batman Returns, um, and let's see if I can cue it up to right when they're about to come in. Great radio guys, huh? Guys, this is <laughs> Biff Yeager's finest moment. Who is she? What is she? I don't know whether to open fire or fall in love. <laughs> you poor guys. Always confusing your pistols with your privates. Um... So that's Biff Yeager in that movie, <laughs> okay. uh, with exactly the same accent as he has in the 24th century. Um, so that's uh, that's A, um, and then B. Uh, I did a little deep dive into the uh, Lieutenant Commander Argyle character, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of want to make this a segment because this was fascinating. So if you want to name this this thing, it's basically all of the weird novelization and uh, and comic and alternate timeline extensions of. Uh, <laughs> Of, they're not of minor. They're not alternate. Timelines. Some of them are alternate timelines. Oh, it's the extended. It's well, I guess you call it the extended universe in Star Wars. I mean, what so, do we call it? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, but but it's from comics. It's not from the new movies. Uh, after leaving the Enterprise, Argyle served. This is from the main timeline. Mm-hmm. After leaving the Enterprise, Argyle served as chief engineer aboard the USS Repulse. Terrible name for a starship. <laughs> under the Captain Ariel Taggart, he went then to the USS Excalibur. Um, under Captain Morgan Corsmo. Uh, and Argyle was killed on the Excalibur during the Borg incursion of Federation space in 2373 in the Next Generation novel Vendetta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a discrepancy note in the Next Generation comic, Suspect. Argyle's first name was Terrence, and he was assassinated in 2371 by a Zortai with a grudge against the chief engineers of the Enterprise. And then in the alternate timelines... Oh, God. <laughs> Um, uh, in one timeline where the Borg prevented the retrieval of Jean-Luc Picard, Argyle continued to serve as chief engineer of the Enterprise and was killed during a raid on Earth. So 
Oh, the people. And then lastly, in a thir- further alternate reality, uh-huh. in Next Generation Novel Q&A, he was captured and decapitated by the Klingons. <laughs> so Argyle's taken a lot of beatings Argyle, in every timeline. You've had a rough life. <laughs> it's like the in Deep Space Nine, they'd have a se- an episode every season where they'd torture Chief O'Brien. Oh, yeah? Like, just fucking put his character through the ringer. Interesting. So yeah. he's like, because Chekhov always was the one who took the most beating outside yeah. of the red shirts in yeah. the original series. It's interesting how they focus on one person to kind of um, take the damage. Do you? Okay. So I didn't have a ton of notes here. Again, I think that it's just fascinating to hear this guy in engineering. And I love the techno babble in this episode because oh, well, it certainly is just babble. You had something, Andy. Well, go. to illustrate that point, yes. if we go. You do your thing over there, my All friend. right, all right. We um, each have our own console. For now, these symbols and their relationship. Something troubles you with the way this is configured. However, Wesley's nodding. What else is happening, Andy? Now they're showing. How about it now? They're showing a warp bubble. Uh-huh. Yes. But shouldn't these be connected? Here. And here. Ooh. Now will it do what Kaczynski says it will? It has a chance. Was this a meat? It might work better this way. Yes. As nature itself. View with me, if you will, this screen as we consider the. So that is just. I, I was at first. I thought it was counter to your point, but I actually think it's. It goes right along with your point that this is the other side of the tech jargon, in which literally no tech jargon is said in the entire scene. It's even even to say what it is Kaczynski is doing. There's so little basis in anything we've come to understand about how the fake warp engines function. Like there is nothing about the warp field. There's nothing about. Uh, well, they they do talk about the intermix chamber, which is what you're seeing. You know that big, uh, that big thing in engineering. Yeah, you see those. You see the uh, two tubes coming into the main cylinder in the middle of engineering. Mm-hmm. Those are the, those are the plasma conduits coming in. Those lead out to each nacelle. Okay, that's how this. Oh, cool. That's how this is designed, and this is the intermix chamber, mm-hmm. and the dilithium crystals that are in there are supposed to reflect in the intermix chamber and they send things you know in a focused way into the engines neat so that's how you know some warp engines supposed to work it's supposed to create a warp field and you're warping space and you're being pushed through a fold of space as space is being warped around you it's pushing it's coming back over the top of the bubble towards the back kind of like bernoulli's principle where it just pushes you out well, I guess Bernoulli's is lift, and this is push, thrust, if you will. Anyway, that is the kind of thing that they could have just talked about a little bit on well, this. Well, I needed a Matt Myra in, in, in the engine room. And you needed to grow up with a Starfleet technical manual. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I did have a Starfleet technical manual, but it was original series, and it wasn't as detailed as the later ones. Oh, but thanks, Michael Okuda. Michael Okuda, I think even, t- even looking at the engine room design... Um, um, that you're that you were describing just now is yeah. 
it's just it only it only occurred to me in having dug into some of the design of the panels, which are so brilliant, have changed culture as we know it. Yeah. Um, but even with the engines, it's like he didn't have high high grade CG effects. He was like, I got to figure out a way that well, we can was, build this, yeah. and it will look like something that is plausible in that was every Hans Zimmer, episode. Mostly. Hans Zimmer, the composer. I mean, not Hans Zimmer. Fucking. <laughs> you know why I said Hans Zimmer? It's Herman Zimmerman. Herman Zimmerman. How am I not going to fuck that up? Very close. Herman Zimmerman was the designer of the bridge and engineering, and uh, he did an amazing job. He was a hell of an art director. Still is. Good job, Hans. Oh, he did the engines. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I attributed it to Michael Kudo. Who wouldn't? Well, he, Michael Kudo was responsible for everything you see on the screen that is that looks like a display. Right. Yeah. So all the things you're saying you enjoyed people... Yeah. Working with. By the way, based on the amount of ridiculousness going on behind the scenes, um, pretty good attention to making it look legitimate by even the minor characters in the show. Mm-hmm. With their working on the pads. Like, I wonder how many of them were geeks and were just like, I want to make it look real. Oh, I think they were all geeks. Yeah, who had loved the original show and were excited to be on a Star Trek show. Yeah. So... Let's talk about what happens here. The Traveler sits over in the corner making things happen. Essentially, the sort of man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz, if you will, he makes the ship travel super fast. And the, sh- the ship moves through warp in a way that looks like uh, you're just riding Space Mountain. It does. Little galaxies passing through. Like, it's really... It's very 2001-y. Yeah. But... No. Understandable for the time. Sure. Well, not really. <laughs> it was like 20, for, 20 years after the time. For, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this episode is just like, they're stunned to see how far they've come. Let's, let's listen to them figure out where they are. Okay. Position. Calculating it, sir. Data, what do you read over there? Malfunction. I trust. Position, Mr. LaForge. Well, sir, according to these calculations, we've not only left our own galaxy, but passed through two others, ending up on the far side of Triangulum. The galaxy known as M33. That's not possible. Data, what distance have we traveled? 2,700,000 light years, sir. I can't accept that. You must, sir. Our comparisons show it to be completely accurate. And I calculate that at maximum warp, sir, it would take over 300 years to get home. What? Wow. I like thinking about the massiveness of space. And the fact that, like, our galaxy, you know, if you look at the way the galaxy is constructed in Star Trek Town, it's the Alpha Quadrant is where... um, Earth is and Vulcan, um, the Delta Quadrant's where the Borg come from. Mm-hmm. The Beta Quadrant is where Klingon is. It's really interesting. It is interesting. It did make me think of uh, Voyager at this passage. Yeah, Voyager though they're in the Delta Quadrant and at maximum warp, it would take them about eighty years to get home. Right. This so is this is they're even farther. Much further. Much further. And the uh, and then they end up in a in a 
I don't know what you would call it. Uh, an aquarium full of tiny lights? <laughs> Doesn't yeah. it look like they might be underwater? It it does. It's it's a little it's a little odd. And someone even wrote in a letter saying, like, why would it look like this? <laughs> this episode is so nothing. Let's let's talk to let's see what happens when uh, or hear what happens when Picard finally uh, talks to Kaczynski. Who's very proud of himself. Captain Picard, I presume. We're still trying to determine what happens. The truth is, Captain, I made a mistake. A wonderful, incredible mistake. Just explain what brought us here. As the power grew, I applied the energy asymptomatically. I anticipated some tilling, but it didn't occur. Now, that was my error using the vessel functions at the beginning. What is he saying, number one? Tell the truth, sir. It sounds like nonsense to me. But, considering? Considering where we are, we must assume it isn't. Can I do something to help? I can call my mother. She's a doctor. No, there's nothing she can do. (laughs) No, Wesley, don't call your mother. (laughs) What else can you do? Well, I have another theory about this. Oh, no. <laughs> Which, uh... Does that mean it's time for Andy's theories? <laughs> it does mean it's time for Andy's theories. You basically have already said essentially what the theory is. But, uh... Are you going to play the song? I, I am going to play the song, and I, and I, have, uh, I have an interesting uh, little, uh, little uh, addition. So this was the, uh, this was the original uh, theme that we received uh, a couple of weeks ago for Andy's theories. Where are all the bathrooms at? Let an android have a cat. Is Data just pretending to be so dim? No one knows the answers. Least of all him, it's Andy's theories. That's a great song. That song, that wonderful song, came to us from Kenny Dixon. And I uh, commented... As wonderful as it is, you know, it'd be nice to have one that talked about how smart I am at the end. And, uh, and uh, you know, once in a while, once in a generation, sure. Matt, yeah. a musical visionary comes along that uh, just changes the game for everybody. Uh-huh. And that, uh, that man is Joe Garcia, who sent us this in response to my call. Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. <laughs> Uh, all right that's the outro that's the outro to the segment um so basically i have a new theory yeah uh first it was that geordie's a pedophile and i i realize that geordie's mechophile geordie is not a pedophile yeah he's in machines um but the way they keep shooting people in these scenes with wesley is like they are like they can barely stop themselves from kissing him flush on the mouth. Well, He's like it's less than a than than I would say a half a foot away. The traveler is standing. He's from a him. very handsome boy. Uh, so so my theory is that his power is not just these engineering brilliance, but that he emits this charisma that has this. <laughs> that he's emitting an energy that is drawing in people who have who have a certain their their brains are are attenuated in a certain way. <laughs> so if you're into like you know science or you're into engineering, yep, Wesley Crusher is irresistible to you. Is that what you're saying? That is my new theory. Thanks, Andy. Play us out.
Cut this part out. Ready? Hang on. Oh, boy. Yep. That is my new theory. Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. (laughs) (laughs) Good work, Joe. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to jump in to... uh, Do you have anything else... Uh, as far as uh, I'm way in, I'm a 3440 at my next thing. Great, because I'm before that, and right. I would just like to say that it is weird how Denise Crosby says this. <laughs> this is crazy. I was at the colony where I grew up, being chased by a rape gang. Are you all right? <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. She um, she's not good at working rape gang casually into a sentence. No one is. No <laughs> one ever should. It is something to be taken seriously and not something to casually mention on multiple episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. Let's check it out, though, when Worf finally finds a friend. What is it? A thing on tar. My pet. I love the wharf smile. The home. But when I was a child. You're telling me it's a kitty cat? Yes. I suppose you could call it that. It disappears. And then... Andy's favorite moment of Star Trek history. It's a kitty cat. Now, here's the thing that we're to understand here. Worf's sitting on the bridge... Mm-hmm. Daydreaming about his pet when he was a child. Right. <laughs> they don't know that this stuff is manifesting. There's no effort made by the crew to think of something pleasant or anything like that. Right. They are now in a, a place where they may never return home. Uh-huh. And Worf is thinking about his childhood pet. Yeah. Like, he may be thinking about it. All the time. <laughs> like we just, like in every it. episode, that maybe maybe that's why he's always saying things that are just like, what are you talking about, Worf? <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry, I was thinking about my warg. That might, it's, so, you know, Picard's... Targ. A targ. warg is from Lord of the Rings. There you go. Something I don't care about. <laughs> um, Picard's uh, hallucination makes total sense. Picard is worried about being out in the vast nowhere of the galaxy and he's worried about the fact that the ship may never get home. So when he's in the turbo lift and the turbo lift door and opens into nothingness into space traveling at warp speed, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Worf's thing does not make any sense. <laughs> you know, Worf Worf has an inner life. We can't uh, we can't criticize him for. Okay. Maybe that's how he calms himself. It's just oh, if only I had my targ here. I don't understand. So many troubles for Worf. No one listens to him. 
No one listened to Worf. <laughs> Why no one listened? Worf had feelings, too. Worf Targ listened. <laughs> I wish Worf Targ was captain. I wish it was in a Starfleet uniform as the captain. <laughs> That's a good idea for fan art, folks. <laughs> um, did we talk about that poster on there? We probably did. Uh, I'm sure you couldn't resist it. Uh, we get to see Captain Picard's mother. That's true. That's a fun treat. That is a treat. Do let's, we ever see her again? hear her accent that makes less sense than the engineer's. Sure. The way you like it. Mama. We would have a nice, long talk. This can't be. You've been... Dead. But I'm always with you. You know that. Yes, I felt that. But why now? Suddenly. You mean out here? Is what you say is the end of the universe? Or do you see this as the beginning of it? What? She's German. It does sound German. The end of the universe or the beginning of it? Well, that's, that's you know, well, the way you did it actually is more French than yeah, the way true. she did the it. The way of the, mm, it is. She was almost there. <laughs> Boy. Hey, you guys know I don't do a German accent. Is that, is it okay? I, I, I mean, I don't do a French Wait, accent. I'm sorry? Is, uh, is that no, okay? No, it's not okay. He's very French. All right. I can do a German accent. Well, what does that sound it? like? <laughs> Oh, I'm supposed oh, to do I, it? No, I thought you were oh, you thought I was going to play it? No. you were playing it. <laughs> uh, I am going to look her up. Yvette Gassard Picard. No, that's dumb. That is her name. <laughs> She's the wife of Maurice and the mother of Robert and Jean-Luc. And the paternal grandmother of Renée. Yvette was deceased by Wait, 20 paternal grandfather... Of Rene, that means that's Picard's niece? Rene, uh, French name. Picard's nephew. Nephew. Uh, remember at the beginning of Generations where he's crying? No. Well, that's because his nephew and uh, brother burned in a fire. Ooh. <laughs> that's terrible. It really is. Jesus, what is that, a Pixar movie? <laughs> it sure, you got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Um. Anyway, Yvette. So Picard's trying to put it together. He is talking to someone because he's got the best way to imagine things. Like he's imagining things that are important, unlike the rest of his crew. So he's imagining, you know, falling into the nether regions of space, and he's imagining uh, some sort of vessel that can communicate with him and tell him what's going on. Leave it the outer rim. So when he snaps at Riker, which we're going to hear right here. Do you understand these things? Can you tell me where my ship is? What is this place? Captain? You were reported headed for... Just a moment, number one. Oh, shit. She's gone. Like a ghost. Do you think that if uh, Riker hadn't interrupted him, he would have gotten an answer? I don't think so because oh. the writers decided to make her go away. <laughs> Wait. So I think she probably would have said something like, 
Um, was this he asked what is the, the answer to your question is inside, Jean-Luc. Uh, oh, Andy, let's write that in. Something like that. You're exactly right. So the Traveler gets sick and weakened by so much space travel. Uh, and instead of taking him to sick bay, Beverly just puts him on a bed in engineering in the middle of the engine room. Also my fault, Captain. I should have realized it wasn't Kaczynski. I should have realized it wasn't Kaczynski, see? Wesley did. If you knew something, why didn't you say so? He tried. Twice. I didn't listen. He's unconscious. Why? I'm not certain yet. He phased, sir. What does that mean? Didn't you ever read X-Men? Parts of him disappeared and then came back. Nobody else was I'm paying Professor attention X. to him. The of course I read it. When we saw it this time, Give he seemed to be fighting it. He's dying. He mustn't. He's the only one who can get us back. Realistically, that doesn't seem possible. Sounds like an act end. I mean, it's intense. The Traveler is a weird character. I agree. That we see again. Oh, we do? Yeah. Mm. Buckle up. <sighs> I love that Based exhale. on thought, that's his thing? He comes from a... Yeah, thought is energy? Does he look... Do his people look like he looks? Like she doesn't... Troy doesn't read anything. I don't, is, is Beverly I, reading anything? Or she's just I, saying, I don't understand I don't what his, his I biology. Don't know. I don't know. I mean, if he's a, he's a creature that exists, or a creature, an alien that exists in and out of dimension, uh-huh. it doesn't seem like they'd know any of them. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's just that the traveler's interaction with them is very vague. And, mm. and it's kind of like, would he be that interested in these people if they were that far advanced past them yeah i don't understand why he needs travel on a ship that is another question if they can travel by thought yeah it's the old adage of uh captain picard captain kirk in star trek 5 what does god need with a starship a great really the only good line in movie. i mean there's a couple of good lines it is weird there's like we'll talk about it when we get to star trek 5 in, right. in three years all stations battle stations I will need Kaczynski back on the main computer. Does he really, though? Like, I think we've established that he doesn't. Yes. Me? He basically said, do you need me? Um, And, yeah, so that was my question. (laughs) It's like, does he? He's basically just been a sham the whole time. I I like his his delivery of, you need me? I don't think it's... So adorable. It's so weird. Like, because, I mean, what we're getting out of this is that it's complete nonsense. Like, his stuff is all nonsense. So what was he doing before? Like, what is this guy, and how did he, is it just he was, I guess the Traveler must, I wonder how long the Traveler's been working with him, faking, doing this con job. Crazy, right? Very strange. Um, And then uh, then we have this. Oh, man. Andy. I feel such an abundance of well-being on the ship. Oh. It feels like. Quite wonderful. I know I feel bad for Marina Sergers, and I'm not going to hold her responsible because they gave her basically. The, she says "quite wonderful," I think, in Farpoint. 
<laughs> so it's exactly the same thing. If it feels, can't come up with the words, quite wonderful. That's really on them. When the uh, space jellyfish are touching tips. Um, and it's just like just giving her something to say. Like, what just... If you're going to dig into this character, you got to figure out – do they figure out what her purpose is eventually? Or is she always sort of like you know, she just does struggling some, she, at the side of the edges does, of the plot? She does some cool stuff. She takes a more of, of a command role. She's – but I got to tell you, she is not particularly well uh, used. Yeah, or service throughout her character is written. I think everyone felt burdened by her character by no fault of Marina's, uh, yeah. and like had to like go. Oh shit, uh, we need to put something in here. Um, she could say that she senses distrust. Anything right. the music cue is saying will make her put that in words. They never gave her telekinetic powers, right? No, she can't move anything. That should, they should have given her something like that. Made her a little bit of a mutant. I mean, she becomes used. I mean, she is. She's a beta Z. She's a half beta Z, half human. Or be able to, you know, be able to, can she control people's brains? No. Well, in Nemesis, a bit, there's some of that. Uh-huh. Some tele, tele some. Because that would have been a more, because it would have been a little bit prime directive y. Sure. Just, uh, make it so kind of, is what I would have done. Oh, God. <laughs> Somebody write me a theme. Uh, but I would have made her, uh, I would have made her able to control minds as well as read them. Or at least that's something maybe she, she inflicts pain on herself by doing it, but she can do it. And then it, it brings in a little bit of a prime directive question of like, well, we can get, make our way out of this by just controlling their minds. Yeah. But we can't because then we're breaking the prime directive. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. So my next thing is just when he makes Wesley and Anson, I thought it might be nice for us to hear. Well, I think we should hear what Picard, what the Traveler says to... Uh, oh, yes. I think that's a good idea. Go for it. What he says to uh, Picard on his own. Okay. Let's hear it, shall we? Mm-hmm. If you like him are why I travel... You have it in your power to encourage him without interfering. Encourage him in what? How shall I explain? Are you familiar with the intricacies of what is called here music? Somewhat. And such musical genius as I saw in one of your ship's libraries, one called Mozart, who is a small child, wrote astonishing symphonies. A genius who made music not only to be heard, but seen and felt beyond the understanding the ability of others wesley is such a person not with music but with the equally lovely intricacies of time energy propulsion and the instruments of this vessel which allow all that to be played you're right i must hurry he just came thinking about it but you're writing something else (laughs) he is just a boy for now he should be encouraged but told none of this Got to get back home. Take him to main engineers. Yes, sir. So, yeah, that's what they're setting Wesley up for. I, now, are they responding at this point to complaints already, or was this too early? They what would have already. Think? I feel like no, no, they would have already six weeks written. In, they this. would have shot this by, yeah, then, yeah. by the time this thing aired. Yeah, so they don't even know that 
the public is going to have a negative response to poor Will Wheaton. Yeah, maybe the maybe the writers were having a negative response and were like, "We got to fix this." Right. Let's give him some kind of purpose. So you wanted to hear when Wesley becomes. I just thought it'd be nice. It was. I, I like when. Let's it, hear that, the that is the, This is the first moment that sort of lives up, in my opinion, to the thing that you were saying of uh, this being a stand-in for Roddenberry and yeah. being a little wish fulfillment. Yeah, here it is. Let's let's hear. Ah, oh, Wesley, come on the bridge. Move. Listen to that silence, guys. <laughs> Commander Riker has told me how supportive you were in engineering. Well done. Oh, at ease. Uh, sit here in command. Captain. It's not allowed. Your orders. Oh, that's true. Does Riker know what he's well, doing, uh, or is he being a dick? I uh, that's a good can't wave them again. Only commissioned officers. It's quite all right, sir. I understand. Please don't interrupt me, Wesley. I'm sorry, sir. They're bit. Any commission rank, even ensign, that would give him authorized access to the bridge. Well, then I'll have to make him an acting ensign. Captain's log, stardate 41263.4. For outstanding performance in the best Starfleet tradition, Wesley Crusher is made acting ensign for the duties and privileges of that rank. And whether that rank becomes permanent, Mr. Crusher, depends on you. At the earliest opportunity, your entrance application for Starfleet Academy will be tendered. Until then, you will learn this ship, every operation, every function. Commander Riker, a duty schedule for Mr. Crusher, heavy on study. Aye, sir. Meanwhile, you can sit here and learn something. Sir, should I send for Dr. Crusher? Why, someone ill? Or would you rather tell her about this, Wes? If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to sit here for a while. I'll tell her later. Matt Myra's dream. Uh, it is my dream. Are you kidding me? Sure. That'd be the greatest thing ever. It would be great. Um, I gotta ask you, Andy. Okay. How many Andys do you give this episode? Uh, now, let me ask you before we address that. Sure. Do we do the MVP first, or do we? Do, um, well, BC, I mean, the MVC, MVP, I think, yeah. is obvious. It's got to be Wesley. It's Wesley yeah, Crusher. Sure. They've kind of stacked the deck. Okay. It was going to be Kaczynski, but in the last second, <laughs> Wesley pulled it out. Sure. The most valuable crew member is Wesley Reginald Crusher. Made the middle name up. I was going to say, it's a great name for him. <laughs> um... Uh, oh, you get, wait, do I get, I got to give mine first. You got to give your Andy. However, how, how many, many Andy's? Andy's? By the way, do we have uh, a theme song for this? Not yet. Well, so someday. feel free to send one in. Uh, there were, there were a couple of, uh, just to jump in to, uh, suggestions. David Drewski, uh, and Melissa Houston both suggested, um, rankings, ranks like, uh, for, for Starfleet mm-hmm. as the ranking system, AKA, Oh, Ensign, so you're saying Lieutenant, through Lieutenant and through, through Captain. Yes. Well, so. I guess Admiral, really. Through Admiral. Or or Fleet Admiral or Commander-in-Chief. Oh, geez. Too much. I like Andes. Okay. Um, I uh, It's a tough one because I definitely like this better. And now I realize I, I, 
I rated Naked Now far too high. <laughs> um, but the first two were so terrible. Um, but um, so, uh, you know, I think I think I rated a five Andes out of the ones I've seen thus far. Five out of ten Andes. Yes, because I find it flawed, but I find it... Extraordinarily so. ...better than what we have generally watched. Yeah. So it's right in the middle. Five Andes. Yeah. I'm going to give it six Andes. Interesting. You and I have not been that far off. We're not that far so off. Far. I, I don't know that we've, we've been off more than, except for Naked Now. More than one Andy. Yeah. Naked Now, we were way Naked off. Naked Now, you were fucking insane. Well, it was interesting. I have to say. Um, yeah, mm, I think. That android seduction scene. You know how into that I am. <laughs> you do. You and Jordy. Uh, Jordy are both mechaphiles. You, you both can't get enough of that. Sweet, sweet action. <laughs> Andy. Yeah. Do we have any incoming transmissions? Is is it open hailing frequencies? Oh, as soon as I click on the open hailing frequencies sound, we've got to get a soundboard. I think we need a person. Yikes! That is loud. Oh, well, hang on. That's, is that right? I no, don't that's know. incoming, isn't it? No, this is incoming. Wait, maybe this one? <laughs> maybe this one. Uh, whatever. Oh, <laughs> Okay. No, that's... Oh, you know the what it is? Is this one? No? No, that's incoming. That one was incoming. Ah, uh, okay. So... That's... Something's wrong. <laughs> okay. All right. Our first... Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, go ahead. Our first uh, email comes to us from Jacob Coburn. Mm -hmm. says, you question why Riker would know the names of the children encounter at Farpoint. This was my question. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of people had said this to me, and I had it in my head, and I didn't comment on it, that uh, Picard had told Riker in Farpoint that, uh, he, uh, that he was to make sure Picard didn't look like an ass in front of the children since he hates kids. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason he knows all the, all the kids' names. But really what was bugging me is that that scene with the kids, Matthew and Pola, is completely out of nowhere and completely crammed in, and it's completely weird. And then Larry Levine sent us this email Hey, Matt and Andy, those two kids at Riker kicked out of the briefing room in the last outpost mm -hmm. were uh, – hang on one sec – were winners of a Cheerios sweepstakes. <gasps> what? Uh, there was a Cheerios sweepstakes? Do you have a commercial for this that you're going to play? I do. Oh, I my God, Andy. You, I have I, – here's how excited I am. Whoa. Is this it? Are you playing uh, it? No, this isn't it yet. But uh, can I ask you, do you want the beginning with the president of Paramount uh, Studio giving his infomercial-like beginning, or should I just go right to the TV commercial that's an ad for it? I think you need to play the whole thing. Okay. I this need to is, hear it. You don't want to hear the whole thing, but I'm going to play the beginning. Authorization required. Andy, you're having some problems. I'm gonna watch this. Come on over. I'm only gonna play the beginning of this because it's so hilariously infomercially. Whoa! Star Trek walk-on contest. I've always wanted to do that. I'm Mel Harris, president of Paramount's Television Group. In less than ten weeks, Star Trek: The Next Generation will make its spectacular premiere. And we're proud to have you on board as the new Starship Lasso. Oh, my God. This 
this is great. You are part of a Star Trek network of over 170 stations, reaching over 94% of the total U.S. TV households. So this was to the It affiliate. is this yeah. most prestigious first-run network that compares in size and quality with NBC, CBS, and ABC. As audiences everywhere eagerly await the television premiere of this celebrated series, uh -huh. I would like to take a few minutes to share with you what we at Paramount and Gulf and Western are doing to make the fall premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation a history-making success. I'm now here in the captain's conference room of oh New God. Enterprise. Sorry, it's so loud. To tell you that marshalling the awesome. corporate support of Paramount Pictures to this television That's series awesome. has brought our motion picture so licensing if you and can't see this at home, it's a... He's in the conference room, packages covered of Cheerios with Cheerios. And nut Cheerios will hit supermarket shelves nationwide. And this They'll is the room where General Mills sweet the children yeah. Where someone will win the dream of a lifetime. A walk-on appearance in an upcoming episode of Star Trek: The oh Next Generation. Oh my God! Your I audience will hear more details it. about this sweepstakes in a multi-million-dollar advertising campaign that is targeted to reach 85 oh, percent wow. of all I households of kids under so 12 with a whopping 10 time frequency. Yeah. That four go. weeks blitz begins on September 15th and is designed to bring a younger audience to this new generation series. Ah. And I can assure you, there won't be a kid in America who won't want to be on Star Trek. That's the Enterprise. Hey. Starting now, one of you could win an adventure into the next galaxy to board the new Enterprise and appear in an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Look for the winning game card inside boxes of Cheerios and Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh, expired. For a free game card to Star Trek, The Next Generation Sweepstakes, P.O. Box 5472, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm so jealous of that fucking child. an adventure. That, they have an effect there. Isn't that more of a Star Wars hyperspace? Listen, I don't want to talk about where they got their effects from, but that was so cool. So you found out that those kids are... That's great. Well, Larry Levine did. Larry! Really good. Uh, good Larry, digging, you Larry. might be the MVM, the most valuable mailer. I will go further. Larry Levine also had uh, a piece of information about Industrial Light and Magic that Justin Olsen had a longer... So this is a different... Oh, I have another letter. Do, do you do a different thing for each, for each uh, email that comes in, or is it... You're saying we have a letter coming in? Well, let me see if I can pull it up. Okay. I don't think that's a sound. Uh, Justin Olson. Matt mentioned that, uh, and this is the same thing Larry Levine had pointed out. Matt mentioned that ILM had done. Oh, shoot. I have to pick up Bo. Andy, I have to pick up Bo. I understand. This is uh, bad timing. Hang on. Stop. Andy. Yes. I thought we'd kick things off by reading more emails. <laughs> and by kick things off i mean resume from where we were when i had to go get my dog uh who's back around us lapping up water as we speak so um i was going to read uh, a an incoming communique from justin olson who had addressed that you had mentioned that ilm had done the effects he says this is a common misconception and completely understood is that the sound that was a sound, yeah. Completely understandable due to the fact that they are credited at the end of all 178 episodes. The truth is they only worked on the pilot encounter at Farpoint. In addition to their model shipbuilding, the uh, 1701D miniature, they also filmed a small library ship passes in 35mm Vis Division that were reused throughout the run of the show and even briefly in Star Trek Generations. 
However, for Naked Now and Code of Honor, it was future winner Oscar future uh, Oscar winner. future Oscar winner Rob Legato and his team who did the original VFX, and then uh, and then he started alternating with Dan Curry. Rob Legato, you know what, buddy? You're getting some props, and your props are a transported beep. He good also. Props. It's pretty good. He also throws out that the motion control miniatures were filmed at MHG. The video compositing was done at CIS Hollywood. And the map paintings were done by the great Sid Dutton, who did Blade Runner, was my memory. Oh, my God. And Buck Rogers, which I was a fan of. Um, and his team at Illusion Arts. Um, and the uh, 2012 HD remastering and keep recompositing was uh, done by the great hardworking folks at CBS Digital. Um, by the way, I don't know if this is a discussion for future Thanks, CBS times. Digital. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but um, I uh, saw an article that they are not recompositing any of the other Star Trek series in the future because it the took so long. No, because the Next Generation um, didn't sell well enough because it was like one hundred and twelve dollars for the first season. I would. I don't know if I would have paid 112 for the first season, but I did. Uh, but I think I got it for like 90 dollars. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge investment. But I think they can really. It was a crazy amount of money that they had to spend because they basically have to re-edit it. Yeah, and, it's insane the amount of yeah. work that goes into. But it. it it seems like it would be worth it long oh my term. God. Yes. Just for reselling it to streaming and everything. Yeah. Um, Mike McKenzie writes us. Oh, Jesus. Mike. Oh, the original series. I am super excited about this podcast. You two are growing and doing a great job. I am so glad Matt brought Andy in. He is fantastic. Keep up the great work, you two. I hope you get through all seven seasons. We do, too. He is fantastic. He Andy, you're fantastic. How do you feel about that? I feel warm inside. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> uh, Justin Olsen. Uh, is that the same guys before? Oh yeah, Justin Olson also wrote. We have a we have some regulars who who have good comments. That's the Justin Olson sound Let me effect. Pull that up. There you go. For Code of Honor, Andy pointed out that the score for the episode sounded. Oh Jesus! What? Oh my God! I'm a tactical right it's now. It's never ending. This is Matt losing his attention. As I go ahead. Go ahead. Um, he pointed out that the score for the episode sounded very original series like, mm-hmm. which I had. He says, yes, this episode is, in fact, the only TNG episode scored by an original series composer, the late, great Fred Steiner. Oh, Freddy. So I got a good ear, good musical ear. Then we received a a voice incoming message. No way. From Paul Suda. And here it is. Oh, my God. Hi, Matt and Andrew. My name is Paul Suda. I'm coming to you from Toluca Lake, California, so I'm in the neighborhood. Hey, buddy. Love the first episode. So glad I heard about this on the Nerdist Podcast with Nathan Fillion. Um, first of all, the thing that I was kind of afraid you were going to do, but I was secretly hoping you were going to do, was do like a riff track style riffing <laughs> on each Next Generation episode one by one. And I think you should just steal that idea and put out Riff Treks or Riff Trek. I mean, I'd buy that for a dollar. The question that I have Literally. for the two of you actually going forward in this process, especially for the first two seasons of Next Generation, is uh, as writers, 
how do you react to those scenes, usually in the beginning and end of a Star Trek episode, where it feels like there's a paragraph of information about, like, what's going on or how we should feel about stuff that is kind of being arbitrarily passed around from crew member to crew member, and you can watch the actors kind of, like, cringing as they're trying to make it seem like they're really saying it. I'd be interested to, to hear what you're... Um, how you would handle that as writers. Anyway, thanks so much. Keep putting the thing out. It's delightful. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Paul. Thank you. Um, I feel like you were addressing this a little bit at the top of the podcast with the uh, Riker yeah. Picard conversation. You just want to set it off, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a clear manner. It's, a, it's definitely a difficult thing for sci-fi shows and movies how to get out all the tech jargon and exposition uh, in an elegant way that sounds plot driven. Um, and, uh, I would say tie it to character as much as you can. Yeah. So, you know, if you can involve LaForge wanting to make out with a computer, do sure. it. Yeah. You just want to be true to character <laughs> while advancing the plot. The last, uh, letter that I'll read this week. Um, is a very special letter from Mary Myra. Oh, my God. Matthew's mother. Oh, no. Hi, Matt and Andy. So glad you are doing a Star Trek podcast. And yes, Matt, I did watch Star Trek when I was pregnant with you, so it was only logical that you two would be a fan. Uh-huh. You're welcome. I do want to put my two cents in on this third episode, and having been old enough to see the original Star Trek and this same storyline, I was quite disappointed in the show. I kept thinking, wow, so they have to steal the original series to make this uh, new series? I agree, Mary. Um, <laughs> are the writers that hard up for ideas? Sorry, gentlemen. I was not really happy with the new show at all. And Matt, you were right. The later episodes were so much better. Andy, Deep Space Nine is an excellent series. Watch it. <laughs> LOL, she says. Yeah, she does. Uh, she say that a lot in text? Uh-huh. She sure does. So she's kind of uh, semi, uh, you know. She's, she's trying to get hip and whip it. Yeah. Matt, call your mother once in a while. Uh-huh. Uh, you get that a lot too. <laughs> um, also, so glad you and Dory are doing the IVF podcast because that's, that's how I get my updates on you, love mom. She gets a little swipe in at the end there. That's that's the way mom does it. Mary, thank you so much. Please keep writing in. <laughs> no, Andy, no, <laughs> Andy. Your emails are delightful. Uh, anything else? That's it. Oh, my God. Guys, if you want to be a part of the show, uh, ask us questions, have us answer things, correct us, because a lot of times I'm talking and I'm wrong. Uh, please write to us, uh, Star Trek TNC Pod at gmail.com. STTNC So fucking close. Gmail.com. STTNC Pod at gmail.com. You can, however, on the other side of things, you can tweet at us. At, at Star Trek TNC. I or mean, at Secunda or at Matt Myra. How did I not get that right? Uh, you know, it's awkward. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I looked for others and I couldn't quite nail it down. So uh, that's what we got, guys. There you are. I hope you're happy. Um, America. But thank you for all of your pleasant and positive and supportive uh, emails and tweets. He's yeah, I guess. He doesn't care. I don't give a shit about emails. No, I'm kidding. I love emails, guys. <sighs> Side note, we're... Uh, we held steady, I think, at uh, 18, number no, 18 this week. No, they don't care and, about uh, these meaningless you know what, charts. Guys, Andy, stop. 
I wanna I wanna get to number one in TV and film. It's not gonna. He happen. doesn't care about it, and he thinks it won't. Have, he thinks we won't beat the Bachelor podcast. We won't beat the Bachelor. We won't beat that Signcast. Signcast. We're not gonna beat. You're uh, not gonna beat uh, anything really. But uh, I think we can do it, guys. We just gotta marshal our forces and tell everybody, tell your friends to watch the podcast. All your geek friends. Andy, I don't support this. I know. I'm beaming out of here. <laughs> I guess I'll be mad here too. Disengage.